Everybody and welcome to episode 350, ding, 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 of the Saturn Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again this week by my tri.5 centennial <laughs> co-host, Peter you see what Jake. The, I, there's got to be a word for it, for like... Um... What, sesquicentennial was what, 75? It's the uh, sesquicentennial. Sesquicentennial episode of the Saturn Studs podcast. <laughs> My favorite one. I've been waiting for this. I've been wanting to get a banner. Wouldn't, and wouldn't 300 have been your your favorite one because of your your bowler and that that's that's the bowler number. Wait, is Jake? Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to break it. I'm trying to get past that point. <laughs> trying no. to beat you. Trying school. to raise my game. <laughs> we we uh we bowlers have been trying for years to find the extra pin <laughs> to it no worked, avail. It worked when you guys uh made it past nine pin. That was that was the old yeah. way. They oh. used to be nine pin, and then then you broke through. I feel 10. like the arrangement Y'all... of nine pin is easier to knock down, but the ball is smaller, so I guess it balances out. Y'all want an update on my bowling life i do, I do desperately i played ducktons i play, you've been waiting on bated breath but i finally played duck pin bowling last Ooh. week what the fuck is that, that was uh, <laughs> so you bowl with ducks that's not like candle pin bowling right because that's the northeast no. version that's the thing you have in, in, in new new england somebody was saying that like it was really Duck pin was like I think maybe started in Maryland or something, but I've seen the balls and the pins up at my bowling alley up in New York. Mm-hmm. So I don't know like how if that started in Maryland and spread out from there, but yeah, duck pin is like you have short, just like pins. wide they're pins, just little tiny pins. Yeah, they're literally if you just shrunk down uh, normal bowling pins, like not even lock aspect then, ratio. They're <laughs> like they're they're yeah, little short no. stacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're you, like, they, you, you, <laughs> you just squeeze the top part when you're like minimizing a picture. You didn't go by the diagonal. Yeah, you just drew yeah it's on the, the fucking wide Putin of, uh, of <laughs> bowling pins. Yeah, <laughs> it literally is. And and then you're using with you're using a tiny bowling ball that you just chuck down the alley at like breakneck <laughs> speed because it's the size of your palm of your hand. It, it's a it's a small a lightweight shot put <clears throat> that you can just throw like a baseball basically um and the pins fall very easily and they make uh you get three tries you get three attempts uh and it doesn't really make sense <laughs> a lot of times that's i think that's the great that's the best overall review just, just, it, it doesn't, doesn't make, make a lot of sense i there's just not a lot of logical consistency to the procedures or the rules or, or anything really i've bowled in a lot of bowling alleys that were um i would say old and dated as shit uh this was by far the oldest bowling alley i've ever played hey, in it ain't style. The, you have a style <laughs> you, so no monitors you had to write out write your scores down and then you had you as the person had to reset the lanes <laughs> Get you walking down. Uh, by pressing a button. It wasn't automated, so there weren't sensors to know that it, you threw three times or you got a strike. There was no cameras down there. 
So you had to manually reset it. You had to manually like request that the balls be given back to you. <laughs> so if you run out of balls, you just forgot to press a button. <laughs> I was like, this shit is real old. <laughs> did you get an A&W burger while you were there? <laughs> I did not because the snack bar had fake pretzels in the pretzel machine. And I'm pretty sure they just sold like bags of chips and soda. That's their snack bar. Wait, wait. Now, now this is either really old or like some sort of hipster fucking paradise. No, it was really old. (laughs) They were like BYOB. We don't serve alcohol. Now, when you say pretzel machine, what what do you mean? You know those uh, old. (laughs) Those pretzel warmer boxes. Yeah. Okay, like where they got the hooks. Yeah, gotcha. And you just kind of like string up pretzels. They put fake so pretzels they had in one it. of those things. They had a pretzel warmer, and I went up to look at it, and it was like child's like plastic pretzels that there were just three of them just hooked up there. And I'm like, huh? Wait, what? <laughs> They're not even real. <laughs> Those are for display purposes only, Jake. <laughs> That's just to get you pretzels. in the door. <laughs> That's just to get you in the fucking door. Oh, they have pretzels? I'm in. <laughs> well, you laugh, Jake, but I'm a guy who might say that in just his casual right. life. Like, there's an arcade at the mall near here that boasts to have the largest pretzel in Albany, and I desperately want to eat it. Even if it's not good, I want to know. That pretzel. Like, I've been, I get tempted by Annie Ann's instead. I'm like, I could have dinner, or I could go get, like, the greasiest pretzel that I've ever, ever done eating. I will get the cinnamon sugar. It can't be good for me, but I love it all the same. Yeah, the uh, it was it was an experience, so I'm I'm glad I did it, and uh, yeah, so I'm not gonna do it again probably. <laughs> He'll be out here looking for the next generation of bowling, which I think we can describe on this edition of the cast, which is other than the sesquicentennial edition of the cast, it's also the brick through a plate glass window edition of the cast. I think that's the next iteration of bowling: is you take the ground away. <laughs> And you just you just throw it at the pins. You say go along, and you just throw a rock at some fucking sticks. They have axe throwing. Why do they, they need ball throwing? <laughs> and of course, as always, we're coming at you live from our favorite location, Gambino's Pizzeria. You know, we're gonna get some. We got ourselves set up in a booth. We're gonna order a couple large zas. And uh, watch maybe the delivery man make his fiftieth of... delivery of the day to the same yeah. house. Our delivery man is Dan. Hi, Dan. What a thanks, Dan, depressing for being the movie. best delivery guy. It's and that they hit the so hard in the too. Mailbox. Every like, time I think back on it, I like I get mad at how sad it tried to make me feel. <laughs> so, so it was kind of funny. Um, I was debating on. Just going by myself, or and Kristen had the day off, so she's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll go." You know, oh, no. oh, maybe maybe we can get ice cream afterwards or something like that. I'm like, "Oh yeah, maybe." And I, as the movie ended, I'm like, "Do you still want ice cream? <laughs> because I don't want to eat for a week." <laughs> I I went by myself at three thirty on a Tuesday, and. Uh, 
I had, I had left work early for a dentist appointment, and there were three people in the theater <laughs> counting me. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I, I had a similar experience, and I'm I'm very glad. I would not. That would have been. It would have been less enjoyable with like a crowd of people. But like all all three of us like kind of <laughs> reacted the same to some of the stuff where it's like, oh no no please don't don't be like that. Oh come on. <laughs> Um, I I looked at the online to see how many people, and there was like one person there, and I was like, "Oh shit, okay, neat." And as we were like finishing up dinner and walking over there, uh, I looked again. There was like a lot of people, and the guy in front of us was like, "I'll take a ticket to Whale." I was like, "Shit, okay, this uh, movie theater's filling up," and they shoved us in the back of the theater, the last possible one. Oh. No heat. They turned off the heat to it, so it was like frigid as shit in there. It had the, the, the captions, subtitles on too. And there was one guy who just made an egregious error in um laughing at one of the sad parts. And I was just like, ah, oh, dude. Bro. No. Bro, don't be that Come way. On. I forgot what it was. It, it was something like where uh, just how, how heavy he was or how the massive weight of him. He just like burst out laughing. Some of that, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I was like, we'll, we'll get more into uh, the specifics uh, when we when we dive the into the whale. That's there. I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure there are whales in all the oceans. <laughs> yeah. Do we? Where were they? Idaho. Yes. Idaho. Idaho. And yet, yeah, not right. one yeah, potato yeah. is consumed in in the uh, course of the movie. Yeah. Well, I didn't expect him to be just nomming on a potato like an apple, but then again, I also don't know Idahoans, so maybe I hear, they do I hear, that. That's what I hear. <laughs> I want. I want. Is it too much to ask for a potato you can eat like a hand fruit? I don't think so. I don't think it is. I, I think don't that's think a pretty reasonable they, request. You know, yeah. we need to you make know, bridge we've the been gap able from to... russet gold to like John of gold. Isn't that kind of like a hash brown though? Could be onto something. What if you cord like you like you bake? Well, <laughs> what if you bake a potato? <laughs> I don't know if potatoes have cords. <laughs> you could eat a baked potato like a hand of fruit. Yeah, yeah. With enough with enough um, uh, binder in the potato, you know, it'll 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 hold up when you pick it up. So where? Wait, I think there's a fundamental oh, misconception. Before engineer. we go to trailers. <laughs> How do you bake your potatoes, Jake? That they don't hold together when oh, you pick I'm thinking, them up. I might, I might be thinking of a twice baked potato. Yeah, probably. Like, I'm thinking of where you scoop out the innards and you mix it with stuff and put it back no, in. Oh yeah, no, no. Okay, we're at we're that's at a good level. though. I'm talking about poking a fork hole in a potato and microwaving oh. it for three minutes, kind of baked potato. <laughs> you know, I used to do that shit with like a sweet potato. Yeah, when that's I was, like, the most depressing sentence I've ever heard. <laughs> But when when, you I, have was an like, air when fryer, I was like dude. cutting, <laughs> I also haven't baked any potatoes in the, in the last while. That's the quick and dirty way to do it. And then, no, you're not. It's not completely sad. I mean, I used to do that with sweet potatoes. I'd bring a sweet potato to work, and I would just like wrap it up in uh, a paper towel. Or you say wrap it up in foil stab it and a stick it in the microwave. And then I would throw it in the microwave. Um, and then for like three minutes, I think it was. You just nuke the potato, and then it's um, it generates enough heat 
to power a, a power plant and mm. you just you just slowly chip away at it until you're like this, this is a lot <laughs> <laughs> who needs calories when you have like like raw cat like actual calories like heat, actual heat coming yeah. off the potato yeah, yeah. <laughs> there uh, some things i've learned in my life about food is that you know some things just hold on to heat like crazy rice and potatoes are like the two main things that just like cling wrap to heat i think they'd be a hand warmer potatoes yes uh right well it depends on how they're prepared french fries don't hold their heat as long as you would like them to oh yeah and uh rice sometimes i've i haven't had my rice stay too too hot for too long see i I do like microwave rice and by balls, I mean rounded triangle, so triangular prisms. Filled with meats? But here here on the stuff. Here we on this fill movie, our rice balls this with movie, trailers. This movie podcast. <laughs> Talk about movies now. Um, yes, this is Trey Watch, our trailer review and roundup segment. But all's just as well because there there ain't ain't a whole lot of trailers this week. No. So no, there's we we've we've cobbled them together. <laughs> we've thrown them in. We've wrapped them in paper towels and we've thrown them in the microwave for your pleasure. <laughs> um, we're just. I'm just gonna start. I'm just gonna start with Scream, Scream Six, Scream Six trailer, Scream Six trailer number one, Scream Six trailer number one parentheses 2023 close parentheses. Um, it's the ghost face killer. He's he's in New York. He's doing the, some killings. I want. I'm I'm gonna do a version of Jukebox Hero, but you change out the Jukebox Hero with Ghost Face Killer. He's a Ghost Face Killer. He's got, he's got murder in his eyes. Um. So yeah. Question about Scream because I like. I don't think I ever watched a Scream movie. Do is there a supernatural element to this? To Ghostface? No, in the original Scream, he was it was two people actually, and they were just yeah. like high school punks. Yeah. Um. So it should also be noted I, that Scream has always kind of been a a parody or like almost a satire of the horror genre, and I think they're doing that in this one in a different you know of what like recent horror has become. Um, you know, like with, with like a hollow, the new Halloween series, right? Where you take the, the final girl from the first movie and now she's like the grizzled, like, you know, tough as nails veteran, you know, uh, mentor figure. And she has like the, the mm-hmm. shrine to, to ghost face killer. <laughs> there's like all this, you know, there's all this lore and like backstory and, it just doesn't. It's like it's just a killer. Yeah. So I think I think they're playing that up too, like the the soft reboot of horror. I I could see them doing that, where they're just like, this is this is a um, tongue in cheek look at like those kind of reboot movies. Well, that's what the last one was, I think. But also kind of played they're straight. All, they're all just tongue in cheek. <laughs> Well, I mean, yes and no. Play on. The tropes are part of it, but like it's still at its core trying to be an effective scary movie. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you know, I don't know if it's just got a, a niche fandom or or what, but I've heard like positive reviews about seeing this trailer. Like, not not what I expected, because um, I would have expected a response more towards like Halloween. Like, hey, it's overdone. It's the same guy, just different setting, different characters. But you're just going to pull the same shit. Um, and to some extent, there seems like there's a lot of callbacks to the original. Like, I know, like, the phone call. Like, oh, I'm, I'm calling and they're, they're, they're wise on it. They're like, this hasn't worked before, yada, yada. Um, but, I don't know. It... I hear a lot of things about like, oh, it's now it's in a city and that makes it scarier for some reason. Some city um, slickers. You know, the the killer can be from anywhere. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe I, I reserve my judgments. I'm probably not going to watch it. I don't really care for the Scream yeah, movies. I mean, I'm not invested in I don't. I haven't watched any of them before, so I'm not going to watch this one. But um, I do like the kind of idea, like the 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 the. the Partial, partial notion, you know, the idea of like the bystander effect means that even in public, the you they can't save you from the killer, and you're like still on your own even even around other people because that's one of the big like challenges whenever you're making a horror movie is like why can't they call for help, why can't they get help, and this doesn't mm. you know not explain explain away like calling for the cops or something, but. I like that idea that, like, you can't get help from anyone because, like, just no one wants to get involved with that shit. And, you know, no one's going to... It's not the, not my problem. I can Now, I Peter, see, this is where we got to disagree because very clearly in the 2002 documentary Spider-Man, directed by Sam Raimi, the people of New York will stand up to any supervillain <laughs> Hell yeah. Is this in New York? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I didn't know if, like is it it was in a big city, right? A city with a subway system, but there are multiple They don't there, make there movies about other cities except for New York and LA, Peter. <laughs> Occasionally you might get Miami <laughs> nah, in there. Was... <laughs> um No one wants to set their movie shot. in Chicago. <laughs> Well, this is a yeah, world without Spider-Man, and as, you know, the people of New York will, like, raise Spider-Man up as a Christ-like figure in Sam Raimi's sequel documentary, Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Chronicling the further adventures of Spider-Man, yes, I recall. The The first scene was um, of the Wynn, New York, Jackpot, and Mega Million, Mega Wynn. Um, oh, so okay. Confirmation at a, at a, is in At a Bodega. Um, I thought bodega were are bodegas like like, like little clothes cool. shops? Well, or I, they... Yeah, I guess like that's more like a newsstand. Yeah, it's um yeah. bodega. I just I call any kind of corner shop where it's yeah okay yeah there's yeah there's yeah there's a bodega. They got the coors in the background, mm-hmm. the funyuns and yeah. um, usually I think they'll ruffles. also you know. If it's a bodega, they also have like a flat iron grill and and some rudimentary sandwich making ability. They'll usually have oh, uh, a cat lying around. They'll also have a yep. small selection of, of groceries. Maybe you can get a, a custom sandwich the Aki way and uh, without forgetting the ne- bev. Ne- never, 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 never. No, never forget the bev. You first put the pancake on the grill. 
Um, and then you put the uh, the honey bun on the pancake, mm-hmm. uh, top it with bacon, and maybe a peanut butter and jelly sandwich all between that. Exactly. Never forget the Bev. Never. Never. The uh, Kurt, go. I'm not going to say go watch the Akuma because I see that and I'm like, I can't do it. It's uh, it's too strong. It's too powerful for me. Um, dodge it. Just like Yo, dodging the trailer for Scream. That's that's the Scream. Ah. ah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we, we went to the same place there. We went to the same thing and it said, Welcome, welcome to Marlowe. Um, Marlowe. Wasn't that the wasn't that a movie with Steve Carell? Uh that was or Welcome that... to Marwin Gwyn. Okay. I was gonna say was it was like Welcome to Marley, but that's a that's a movie about a dog. Uh, that's Marley and me. <laughs> yeah, Welcome to Marwin was the uh um not Ben Stiller, uh Carell, Steve Carell movie yeah. about the little uh making little the doll town. Um, dealing with his trauma by making little uh Marine soldier World War Two style puppets or figures that he would uh get rid of his trauma with. Yeah, it's yeah. based on based yeah. on a book or whatever. But from Marlowe, from director Neil Jordan, the silver screen takes on new meaning as Liam Neeson and Diane <laughs> Kruger show their age while starring in this unexpected L.A. noir adaptation. <laughs> it's um so like, is detective stuff like really hot right now? Since ever since like. I don't know, Death on the Nile and uh, Murder on the Orient there's Express. Been, I feel like I think there's been a small kick for it. Like it's not been huge, but because we haven't had a straight up detective, like a, a you know a non satirical, just right in, you know straight on thirties um, forties detective movie in in a while, yeah, in quite a while. So. The vibe that I got from this was really good up until I saw all of the egregious action scenes and, like, he's just doing Taken. Well, Liam Neeson's agent has made it very clear that he will not take any role that does not involve him looking for someone. Um, I'm really good at playing a guy who's looking for someone. He's comfortable with it. He's got it down to a science. He doesn't want to do other shit. I, I like the comment really saying, like, cool. finally, he's in a big budget movie again. And I see the first wide shot of the town, and it's all it's all bad CG. And then I see, like, the set design is is great. The costume designs are great. Um, the <laughs> the, uh, can- the lighting director and camera, the cinematography director, could only afford one gel at a time. One gel per shot, so everything's lit monochrome. Oh, that might not just sunlight. be an artistic choice. And also, it might be because fucking the quality of trailers on Rotten Tomatoes trailers is fucking garbage. <laughs> I like when the tones go all blue, and then the tones. Yeah, go if, all red. if yellow is when they and go to the Mexico, go what does yellow. it mean when it, when the camera turns blue? Or green or yeah. orange. Blue well, means he's green. Good. Green he's means you're in the matrix. Okay, yep, oh. that's true. Um, where was Drive set? Drive. 
I yeah. think just nameless town. Yeah, okay, so I yeah, I have no I have no recollection. <laughs> I Where was I like to imagine seven? though. Like I'm I'm looking at these scenes. I like to imagine they put one of those, um, you know, where they have the spinning uh, color gels in front of a in front of a spotlight, so the color slowly changes over time. Yeah, you just put one of those in front of the projector. Uh, so I didn't realize. Okay, so this is um, a recreation of Philip Mar- Marlowe. Yeah, I guess it's um, a, what is that? It used to be an old show or some of that, or book too as well. Maybe a movie. One of those those um, long shot uh, reboots. Philip Marlowe is a fictional character created by Raymond Chandler, who was the characteristic of the hard boiled crime fiction act genre. The hard boiled crime fiction genre originated in the 1920s, notably in Black Mask magazine, in which DeShiel Hammett's The Continental OP and Sam Spade first appeared. Oh, I like, cool. you know. I never thought about the term hard-boiled. It, yeah. You know, I don't know why you would name your genre after something that makes the subject matter bland and flavorless. Well, I don't. I think it is just playing off the hard-boiled detective like terminology, which I don't know the origin of that. Yeah, I was like, why are they called hard-boiled so, detectives? Because they eat eggs. They're, they're tougher. Just, they're, mean, they're popping eggs. Or, because, I mean, like, a regular egg is fragile, but a hard-boiled egg is tougher, I guess. So there's a few oh, Philip Marlowe movies. Um, Let's see where he spins the egg. First, in 1946, Humphrey Bogart played Philip oh. Marlowe in The Big, Big Sleep. Big shoes to fill. Yeah. So uh, Liam Neeson taking on Humphrey Bogart. And then... And gonna do it while punching... Faces and taking and someone did it in the seventies, the late sixties. Yeah, they're, they're, they've they've recreated it, so it's it's time. It's, yeah, it's, time to do it again. Had Bruce it had Bruce Lee in it. That's when they were trying to be diverse. James James Garner is Philip Marlowe. Um, K- Carol O'Connor, Gail. Honeycut, Honey, Honeycut, Rita Moreno, Sharon Farrell. I don't know any. I don't know any of these names. William Daniels. Yeah. All right. That was that was certainly was a. Oh, directed by Paul Bogart. Paul Bogart, not. Oh shit. He's Bogarting his the name, which is not something you do in polite society. Um, which also happens to be. Is that humph- our next trailer. There we go. Polite Society is a trip, man. Yeah. It's Oh, just a couple of couple of gals doing some bat. It's like if if Bollywood remade Get Out, it would look something like this. Okay, I I don't know where this is going to land on like the the western movie versus Indian movie kind of, like, line here. Because it's... I mean, the subject matter is about Indian people. But yeah. I don't know if they're going to... How much of the, you know, the Indian cinema tropes they're going to take from it. You know? Well, but they're also, it's also not Primarily the, the runtime. <laughs> is this going to be three it's, hours? It's set... 
It's set in London, though. Right. Well, yeah, so but not every it's, um, like it's... Bollywood movie is set in like Delhi. Well, what I mean it's, is, it might yeah. be more of it might be more of like um like a a British Indian. Um, That's like, what I'm thinking. Like an not not like uh, not conforming to the old ways of their their culture. Um, seems like they're setting her up with a bunch of stuff, and like you have to do it my way, and her rebelling against that yeah like um but uh, there there's a lot of tropes of like maybe some bollywood-esque uh like tomfoolery well uh, you see a lot um, of that in the trailer this is gonna be plenty bollywood for western audiences yes (laughs) that that is very true like so the it is is also very clear People were calling. People in the comments were like decrying this as one of those where you could see the whole movie in the trailer. It's like maybe, but it's not that bad. Um, so it's the stunt lady. It's the two sisters, and one wants to become a high. She's gonna marry into high society, and the other one is gonna become a stunt woman. But then they like kidnap the sister. The the sister or um, the stunt the stunt woman sister finds out that it's all like a trap. And they're going to do some like experiments or something. Yeah. Um, so she's got to like she's got to free, got to free the late, got to free the damsel with her with her kung fu prowess. But the <laughs> the the old Indian uh, lady, she's also has kung fu powers. Their kung fu is quite extraordinary. <laughs> How many flying kicks do you want? Yes. <laughs> I do appreciate the they're mixing that with like the dress choreography to make some really interesting kind of visuals. Oh yeah. Like this is a very visually interesting movie, which is one of the strengths of, of, you know, Indian cinema just in general is that it's always very visually interesting. There's a lot of flair and flash to. And it's also, we should also mention that this is like definitely going to be, a uh, a sillier movie, yeah. like they're not trying to make this like one hundo serious because the premise is is so ridiculous on its face. Yeah, like everyone in their in their fancy dresses doing like kung fu yeah. kicks and shit. So written and directed by Nina Manzor, who appears to be playing the. Oh, I don't want to say that. She bears a slight resemblance to one of the actors in the trailer, but I don't see her in the cast list, so maybe that's just a coincidence. But uh, this is definitely not like super, super uh, Bollywood. Obviously, they're in English. It's in, the movie's in English. Yeah, uh, and it's only an hour and forty-three minutes. So okay, so it's just a regular ass. And um, I did see, like, some of these people are kind of, um, I've seen them in other stuff. Like, I know the one girl, uh, I think it was, like, the big sister or somebody. Uh, she was in the Umbrella Academy. She had a pretty big part there. And I've definitely seen the other girl as well. Um, the, like, the mom, the evil mom or whatever. Mm. Yeah, so I know Ritu Arya, um has been in the Umbrella Academy and a couple other things. And then is it 
her Nimra Buja. She's like, it it feels bad. Oh yeah, she was in Miss Marvel. Okay. Um, it feels bad. But she's got like a scary face. I feel like she's typecast as the. Well, villain. you gotta make that work for you. <laughs> she was the. <laughs> she was the villain. Yeah, you you, rem- you gotta remember, um, like uh, the disaster artist. That would have been Tommy Wiseau's shortcut to success. He has a malevolent yeah. presence. <laughs> or like fucking uh, Lee Van Cleef from yeah. fucking Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yes. That dude look just looks like a villain. <laughs> and he, he uh, played a villain. He's a very sweet dude, but... Very nice just... guy. Looks like a villain. Played a villain in a million different westerns very well. <laughs> Sometimes it just happens to us. Ah, oh, just like it happens to uh, the Mandalorian. He doesn't have a face. He has a. He's got a little mask on. He's got a little. He's got a little thing to hide his face under. Hey, look at me! I'm the Mandalorian. I'm from Mandalorian. <laughs> Season from three. Mandalore. The trailer. Oh, you know, I never actually like watched the full trailer, and uh, I saw a bunch of like clips and people. Let's talking watch over it live. It. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I've seen some bits and pieces of it. Um, the, it looks good. I, I heard some people saying like they didn't want another trailer, like kind of gave a little bit too much. They were fine with how they did the teaser. I think that was enough. Um, but you know, Hey, a little bit more Mandalorian never hurt. And, uh, we didn't see a sand planet. It's so true. That's a win for the community Absolutely. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> There's, there's like some because there's more cool environments which is which is like tough to do and that's like one of the strengths i felt of the first season of the mandalorian more so was that they explored more of the kind of like diverse environments that you, you can dream up within the mm-hmm. the star wars universe and there's there's a couple scenes in here where they appear to be on tatooine or there's sand on the ground, but most of the trailer is sand free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess they would have to because they do go back to the um, mechanic shop. Yeah. So they do go back at least once, and it, apparently they pick up um, R4. Or no, not R4. Uh, what's whatever the other droid right, was the that Astro had Mac the bad or motivator. Yeah, the other astromech that. Um, Lars was gonna buy, but he bought R two instead. For some reason, that droid survived like... <laughs> and has like has a. Are we really it scraping has... the bottom of the barrel for like? Remember this from the well, original movie? Absolutely, there are no. Well, that's that's a that's a trope for like I think a lot of Star Wars things. People always like try to hide that that droid. It even got to the point where they made a story about him, where he was the he was a Jedi. He was the first Jedi droid. Don't ask. <laughs> Don't ask. But <laughs> he did come back uh, in the mechanic shop. And he had the bad motivator. Um, and you can see the burn marks. It was a good detail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And it makes sense for him to end up in some mechanic shop all these years later just helping out somebody who fixed him. Um, but apparently he does come back. And I guess he's going to be piloting the, the Mando's um, Naboo custom ship yeah corvette whatever the fuck he has the speeder 
No, the Cornelian yeah, Corvette is what this... the Tantive Four was. That's the ship that opened Star Wars. Um, that's just a Naboo starfighter. Okay, not the Corvette. Yeah. So whatever his Naboo starfighter, um, starfighter is, yeah, um, he's got the the Astro Mac to pilot that as well. Um, and yeah, you see some I... stuff. Uh, looks like he's going back to Mandalore. He's gonna fight we'll a, a Magillion Mandalore, a Mandalillion Mandalores. <laughs> Um, could, and they all jump out of a fucking, they all drop out of the battle bus. They all shoot on their jetpacks. <laughs> Do they say thank you? <laughs> Do they say thank you to the bus driver, though? You can only hope so. That's the important so They part. say this is the way. Um, by all known yeah. laws of aviation, a Mandalorian can't fly. Its jetpack <laughs> is just too small to get its, its metal body off the ground. But the Mandalorian flies well, anyway it's important. because it doesn't care what you think. It is important to note, though, that the I think the the ones that jump out are the um, appear to be the Night Watch, which are the supposed evil Mando group that Mando was the from. Evilorians. that our Mando yeah. was from. Um, and then in the beginning of the trailer, you see the um, the the other group that evil was Mandalorian with, uh, group. Let's not pretend like the Mandalorian people as a whole have a peaceful and history. noble history <laughs> just well, just go play that's, watch that's, her play well, through a kotor with the candy man <laughs> well they were trying to i mean in the in the clone wars and they were trying to like change their cuz they were like this warring race that you know would always just fucking fight and they were the soldier race um, and I think at some point they changed their um, stance on that and try to be kind of more pacifist um, and take a more neutral approach to the galaxy until uh, the Night Watch, a rogue faction of the Mandalorians, had started to um, want to go back to the old ways and they kind of um, overthrew the government. Sounds of suspiciously like the Enclave of all <laughs> Yeah. And and that's when um, I think they were also infiltrated by Maul, and then Maul took over and um, got the dark saber from them. Do we get the Maul Delorean? Uh, and then... <laughs> well, that's I mean that's another reason why they think like the um, the uh, the armorer in the Mandalorian is like it has like she has like the spikes kind of on the mm-hmm. top of her head because when Maul took over the the Mandalorians, uh, they all started like fashioning their helmets to look like Maul. And she's the only one with like those remnants, so she might be one of the last um, members of his faction of Mandalorians. I thought you were gonna say it was Maul. Uh, I'm like, well, he did get his lower half chopped off. He could put anything back on him there. Yeah, he finally just decided to go with legs. I, he should have stuck with the spider claws, though. That would have been cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we're going back to Mandalore. We'll see what. Um, We'll see how that planet's faring after the, uh, what I forgot what it's called. The, um, the Mandalorian oh, Wars. Like <laughs> it was like the, I know what you mean, Jay. It was like the Reckoning or it was one of those, like the, the yeah, event. They have a name for it. Yeah. The, the event that they, they do that. Where they, they all got all like harvested that, or whatever. Yeah. They got fucked over for the Beskar. Um. And the Empire just kind of like seized their planet. They, they just um, they went from the Beskar to the Reskar. Yeah, and that's why the Mandalorians are all spread out over the galaxy and like little small factions. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I, I guess the motivation for Mandalore or Mandal, ah, 
Mandal Mando. There's there will many. be a Mandalore. Dinny Din. Din. Winner, winner, chicken Jin. Dindar Jinner. I'm gonna call him by his goddamn name, Jin Darren or whatever his fucking Darren. Um, Dan Darren, our boy, Jin Darren here. Mandalorian. I guess he's <laughs> he's going back to the planet to uh, kind of make himself whole again, fix his mistakes because he wants to get back in with his old family. Which I don't know. They're gonna have to play that kind of. Didn't it? Kind of safe because once he finds out that his family's evil, uh, he should probably turn heel and not go back to them. Well, that'll be the big twist. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if he actually wants to like reconcile with the people who like are exiling him. Mm-hmm. But he's gonna choose. I mean, he's uh, gonna choose Grogu over everything. So, <clears throat> yeah, and Grogu's gonna choose some dumbass Beskar chain mail over a lightsaber over a dope ass lightsaber that was master yoda's come on you know sometimes you go for the defense build it really makes sure the the quest gives you two different items and you're like ah you know lightsaber's good but like i already have force and i'm going into a defense i'll just get the i'll get the mail so now he can get shot now he can shoot the baby <laughs> you always go with the lightsaber Always God damn. But uh, it means having to talk to CGI Luke for for twelve years, twenty years. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see if there's a Luke in here. I Probably not. I can't but... imagine. Like they already played that one. In the back of the uh I, I'm still waiting for whenever they drop more uh, drop Kyle Katarn. I I would I would not hold your breath. All that just, rich history the... is 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 gone, Peter. Disney has oh. to monetize their own. I I just I want to see that one leather shoulder pad and that that William Riker ass '90s facial haircut, where they just have the they have the donut of facial hair around the mouth. I don't know why that just strikes me as just so like late '90s, because like they had that on on Kyle Katarn. That was the facial hair for William Riker. That was also the facial hair for uh, Gerard of the Weatherlight in the Magic the Gathering storyline. He had that hairstyle. So that was like a very in-fantasy haircut or facial hair for the 90s. That aside, <laughs> this this is no segue. I, I don't know how you segue out of this this hair this facial hair rant i've been going on um we're gonna say we're from the 90s to the 80s to finishing the 80s and moving to the future with cobra kai season six the trailer for season six it's the last one where they literally started out with man this show's been going on for a while we made a we made a lot more of this than we were expecting we never thought it would last this long and it showed (laughs) Well, especially with um, Netflix, who is gaining quite the reputation for just playing a a good season of a show and canceling it right away, even if it has a good fan base. Well, they paid all the money to get Cobra Kai from YouTube, yeah. so they 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 need a a return on that investment. Yeah, they because re- Cobra Kai had three seasons on YouTube Red, right? I think so. Still, yeah. So this is technically the third Netflix season, which is. Usually all they get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. That that is true. Yeah, that's the amount that they usually squeeze out of a out of so a show. So I guess that's the ticket. I mean, it'll never that ticket will never come by again because we're not going to have anything like YouTube Red. <laughs> well, we might, but it's getting more and more unlikely. Um, but yeah, they what a what a, like a miraculous history this kind of show like the story of this show, not the story in the show. <laughs> the story in the show is the season six is going to be the same fucking shit. They're gonna well, they're actually going to do the tournament now. Yeah. The tournament yes. of power? Tournament of Cobras? The all. The, the, the all, all world. Valley. Yeah. <laughs> they're all world valley. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that where we left off? They're all yeah. going to the worlds? Fuck me, dude. That's gonna, they're going to get a lot out of that. They could probably squeeze out no, two seasons. No. Yeah, gonna... <laughs> you can maybe get six episodes on out of it. Yeah, they're gonna. No, I think I think they can squeeze out. They give it the Dragon Ball Z treatment and squeeze like uh, a season, fifty-two last, episode season, season. Six, part one yeah. and part two. Yeah, yeah. Where you go through every match, have a two-year break. Hey, there was no Dragon Ball arc. That was well, Dragon Ball <laughs> original. Yes, Dragon Ball Z. No. <laughs> That's true. They uh they had enough because they even they figured that was enough enough was enough by the time uh of Z rolling around. And I think there were only two tournament yeah. arcs in the original Dragon Ball too. And then they did Super. Um, the other thing that uh got kind of uh, teased or whatever, they finally came out with a release date for uh two animated shows. Um, one being the Prime Video series Invincible. Mm-hmm. They had a little uh, short with uh, Seth Rogen and Stephen Young. Um, their characters animated, kind of being a meta yeah, um, conversation. Uh, starting off a little bit about the the show and some of the plot points, um, and then another one about how like we haven't seen you in a while. Like when are you coming back? And then it kind of says, "Well, it's, it t- takes a while to do all the animation, and that takes a while. We want to get it They're right." Changing up the animation um, style too, right? That looked different. I don't know if that was just for the team. Somebody said it looked higher quality. Yeah, so the criticism a lot of people had with the first season is that while the action scenes were were very fluid and well animated, a lot of the non-action scenes had very little and and fairly poor quality animation in them. They allocated their money in the right places, but it was a, a stark contrast. I remember the prime example of this was like the specific scene when they shoot that laser down on the earth. The copy pasted birds. Omni Man. And then they just copy pasted birds falling out of the sky. I was like, oh, after they just had this beautiful like explosion, it was the most jarring thing you can do in animation. It's it's the um it it was I mean a lot of animation does this in recent times. I think what's the term what's the term for it? Um Jay, what, I, re, I can never remember the term. I just want to say isekai. <laughs> I just want to keep saying isekai. But well, isekai yeah. is a genre. Um, it's that okay. term where they fucking turn up the the fucking budget for their fight scene. You oh. know what I'm talking I about. I think that's right? just where, smart. Where they're allocation. doing a fight scene, and all of a sudden, all the rocks break out into like little tiny cubes because that's like really hard to do. Um, which is which is actually kind of funny because I remember back in the day with like Teen Titans they would do the exact opposite, 
where like the just walking around um, and the dialogue scenes would be pretty detailed, and the at the action scenes they would cut to um, like the the chibi drawings or they would not draw the background they would just do like mm. the monocolored uh, action style like a hey, comic the panel. Um, yeah, so the, the term I'm thinking of is sakuga. That might have been a uh, question of like censorship to make it good for kids. Because mm-hmm. we all, I remember we all know about Spider-Man. Yeah, there's like the Spider-Man rules, and they also had to call him Slade because the network wouldn't okay the use of Deathstroke. Yeah, which I mean that worked out. They definitely made that work. Yeah, they made it work. I'm not saying it would. It's better than it would have been. But Slade. Yeah, or they would reuse panels a lot of the times to to save on money and, and have like like transformation scenes. I think. Oh yeah, Power Rangers that. is notorious for that. Was, Depending on how much yeah. time they had to fill yeah. the episode, they could like do ten minutes of just making the Megazord. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that they released was, I gotta get this right, um, Attack on Titans final season, yes. uh, part three, uh, which will be split up into two parts, <laughs> part one. Yeah, they just, just make it another season, but they didn't want to make... I don't know what... I don't know if they're on season five or season six. Is this six, like the uh, in JoJo's long. for the the latest season where they put it, released it out in batches, which is what they just used a term for like three episodes. So instead of releasing it one episode at a time, the last season of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is on Netflix, um, released them in batches of three episodes. So trying to figure out like a hybrid between one episode a week and like just dumping the whole season. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of like I don't. So I don't know if this is season. This is season four, uh, part three, and I also heard it might get like split into two parts as well. Um, so there's a lot of jokes about this. Yeah. Um, and it, it's rough. Yeah, they they came out with um, then they came out with twelve episodes, ten or twelve episodes, and then they took like a half a year break. And then they came out with another 12 episodes. And I think they took, like, a year break. Um, and everybody was, like, expecting, like, a movie to come out. And they just re- released that they're coming out with another 10 or 12 episodes. And it's it's rough. Um, especially because there's only... There's only four or five comics, like, chapters yeah, like... left in the manga. <laughs> and usually you can go through a, a, a chapter in one right. episode. So they're either stretching out or adding content to the manga um, to to fill out these episodes, which isn't a bad thing, but it's like, it's like, okay, you had the first season take place over the course of 10, 12 chapters, and that was great. And their final season is going to be the same length, but only a quarter of the chapters. What? That doesn't make sense. Yep. So you're gonna. Uh, I don't know how how it's gonna end. I don't, because I remember the manga ended with a lot of criticism, because it people were there's a lot of people um, upset that it just turned into like Japanese nationalism at the end. Yeah, well, apparently they're changing it too. Um, 
they're, they're, the author came out and said that we're going to be doing something different with the anime, uh, which will be interesting. We'll, we'll see how it works out. I, there's a lot of... It's going to be even worse. I don't to that right now. It, I, don't, I don't even know. I mean, because I, I think a lot of people didn't really like the manga ending, so maybe they're going to change it up because people didn't like that, and they probably heard uh, universal opinion on how or it should have ended. Or they're doubling down and making it even worse. I also... The other thing is going to be they're going to go really fucky with us and say that the manga timeline is a multiverse of this timeline and they're kind of connected. Oh no, who could possibly care? <laughs> because So Attack on Titan is kind of like a, a it's kind of cyclical. I kind of think it kind of ended where it began and um, they're going to say that maybe the manga led into the beginning of the anime. And then the anime is going to go a different timeline, spooky. different route. All right. Yeah. That's that's trailers. Let's somehow we spun an hour of that fucking bullshit. All right. We've got box office here. Nope, that's the wrong. Uh... Let's uh, let's follow these up and light these spots. Um. And... Review this these Take video a guess games. Is who's on top? Yeah, I'm uh, trying to get OBS to cooperate with me. That's not it. So we had the the milk weekend. Yeah, we'll see if. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, does uh, does it want to cooperate with us Come on. this time? Oh shit! Yeah. That's right. I forgot to change up that browser source. Give me just a second, please. <laughs> Sure, we can talk. We can, we can talk about anime. I'll talk about. Nope, um, we're done. We got it. It's okay. It's good. <laughs> okay, so when you have an isekai, and you have um, that one time well, my maid turned into. My I mean, girlfriend. I'm actually. I was actually gonna talk. Just say a quick word. Trigun Stampede is out. First couple episodes have dropped. Um, the story is a little thinner than than I like so far. But the yeah. animation is the oh, treat. Yeah. But Avatar Way of the Water won the MLK weekend at the box office. With I can't stand it. To $39.8 million. Um, it rebounded quite well uh, internationally this week and is now poised mm-hmm. across the $2 billion threshold. As it currently sits at one point nine five seven billion dollars, so bully for you, Avatar Two. You're gonna break even. Yep, I'll eat my lunch yep. for that. I and guess. now they can now I can actually. I guess this was what they needed to like fully greenlight all the rest of the sequels. I I heard a couple of weeks ago that he was um he got the okay to um to go on I, the other ones. I, maybe maybe the studio was like, yeah, I know we know we said two billion, but like it it looks like you're gonna get there, so we'll give you the I head start. I think maybe run with it. You know, I would say when I, originally I I said that um, I thought two might do pretty well, but then after that, people are gonna realize how like nothing these movies are outside of the visuals, and three wouldn't do so well. But they actually left like a something of a story hook for 
three. Yeah, in so, the same way that a that a wrestling rivalry leaves the story hook. Yeah, so I f- I feel like it could possibly uh, do better than it it ought to based on that. <laughs> yeah, I, to to not sound like a a hypocrite or anything, because I know we railed on this movie a lot, but I'm. I guess I'm I'm more interested in an Avatar three than I am interested in an Avatar two, um, coming out of like Avatar one, like I didn't care for another one Interesting. after the first one, um, but now I kind of want more of this plot thread to be pulled, to figure out the, the confirmation because I heard a lot of like interesting fan theories that kind of check out, such as most yeah. notable, yeah the most interesting one I think was the. Um, uh, the Navi aren't from Pandora, and they are actually from a, an ancient like race that um, sapped their planet of all its resources and created this AI that would not allow them to do that and sent them to a so, new planet. So you're telling me they're going to go for, there is a creator race of ancient technology <laughs> that directed the, the uh, growth path of, of many smaller civilizations? There's no engineers involved well, here. <laughs> Well, I thought I thought maybe like they, to save their own race, they like, like like made them forget about their planet, and then just said, okay, go live on this other planet, and start from scratch, but don't make the same mistakes we did by like destroying our planet of the natural resources. They delete. They broke Um, their star forge down. (laughs) They sent anyone else to live on the planet, which I thought is really like, um, kind of preachy. Uh, and over the top, I'm, but it's exactly what James yeah, Cameron would do. Say, that's been his uh, MO. Which is like, you know, exactly say what we're all thinking about, <clears throat> you know, sapping the earth of its resources and possibly being our own demise. Uh, so just, just, you know, maybe yeah. if they showed earth, yeah, that, would, that would be interesting. I don't know. I don't, well, it's going to happen and we're going to fucking sit through it. So strap in. That's all I gotta say about this. Megan um, comes in second. M three gan. Twenty one. It's gonna get a sequel, and I hope they name it M two gan. <laughs> they they greenlit it because it this movie it, since it's this was Blumhouse, right? I don't yeah. I don't know. I'm not. I don't. No, it's I, I thought well. It was. Well, Blumhouse oh, is owned on, by Universal. Yeah. Oh, never mind. I, I'm not but, sure if it was Blumhouse or not. Whatever the case, this is a classic. They they made the smart move and they said, "All right, here's a you know we're gonna make another one of these cheapo horror movies." And this one had a interesting enough premise that they can spin it off into a bunch more. Um, and it's what I guess is what the people want. They're just <laughs> like, hey, just give me another. Give me another horror series I can just just watch fifty sequels of. It's a hundred million dollar maker for Universal. Puss in Boots is in third of eighteen point nine million dollars in its fourth week. That's made two hundred and six million dollars, also for Universal. So Universal's having itself a pretty good good month. A uh, man called Otto from Columbia finds itself in fourth, fifteen million dollars. Uh, plane. Opens in fifth with eleven point eight million dollars in just a hair over three thousand theaters. Um, bringing Thank its, you, Lionsgate. Its total goes total gross, 
is $15.3 million, but it does earn the distinct honor of finding itself in our spotlight. Our spoot loot? So. That's true. Let's, let, let's, let's, let's see, loot that spoot. Let's see what some some real people have to say about this very real movie that is definitely not an SNL sketch <laughs> that went too far. <laughs> It's a fake movie trailer that they made into a whole movie. <laughs> let's do it. Let's let's talk about these from so these real Mr. Movies. Adanzon has a nice things to say about playing. He gives it a town ten. Less CGI, more real action. Love it. I like to see real action movie and not CGI saturated 3D cartoon, which is most modern movies are also plot is good and acting is awesome. Trying to read it as punctuated. Of course. It's good action movie to watch and enjoying the acting, the special effects, the stunts. That That's a paragraph, and that paragraph's <laughs> over now. <laughs> Less CGI, more real action, hyphen love it. This move kind of movie can anyone can watch after sometimes maybe though streaming platform after watching a movie. The plot is interesting and will keep you entertained. Sure, some stuff is res- less realistic, but most of it look real, especially nowadays when everything is possible and anything can happen, and even movies not able to keep up with real life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. He's slipping behind. Zero. He's spinning out of control. <laughs> if plane is... <laughs> it's not as, not as crazy as real life. <laughs> zero. <laughs> zero found that helpful. Disappointingly. Zero. Damn it! I, I, I feel like the, I feel like this one's like, under yeah. underrated. Everyone, get out there, get out the vote. <laughs> get out the vote. Aiden's on. Get, get out and go, Pokemon. Pokemon, go to the polls. Go, Pokemon, go to the IMDb user reviews and upvote this one. Um, this one doesn't need need too much. They're sitting at a good eight. Eight people found it helpful, which is fine. That's good enough. One out of ten. Richardana, easily predictable and cliched treatment of natives. <laughs> okay. Yay. I did not expect that one. A very, yeah. A didn't expect the natives part. <laughs> I forgot what the trailer was about, so I don't really remember <laughs> what even goes on in a fucking plane movie. <laughs> A very predictable plot where, once again, Western culture is the hero and the native Philippines are the savage and money-grabbing killers. Gerard Butler has become the mark of low-quality movies. Butler has only one note and not all the all believable when he's trying to show his loving father's side. The special effects are bad and hilarious at times. You literally can see the part where the animation is like cartoon. The fighting and shooting sequence are boring and don't always make sense. Where all the protagonist shots will hit while the idiotic natives would amazingly miss all their shots. 8 out of 31 found that helpful. Well, don't be bad natives. Just get good, kid. Um, Peter and his Snuggie in full view here. Absolutely. Any day of the week, except for most days of the week. <laughs> Saturday only. Thank you very much. Um, from CDCRB, I've seen that name before. He's, he's, he's another regular I'm seeing around here. 
Uh, their six out of ten review. De plane, de plane. <laughs> that too. Uh, hey, it's Gerard Butler. You know from the get go that whatever happens for the next two hours, you'll come out of it okay. He's a pilot, and when the airplane gets struck by lightning, things go very wrong, and we end up on an island inhabited by gorillas, not the King Kong ones. <laughs> the stranded passengers aren't as obnoxious as the usual characters in these kinds of movies, and there's no love story for our hero. At least not the kind you expect. Lots of daring do. It's basic movie making, but not bad. Just not better than that. Tony Goldwyn, usually a bad guy. Not one here. Nice change. <laughs> Go relax and, and have fun. Two out of four. You know, that was that was a good review. That was a good one. I, I, I review that review at a 10. Welcome to the review review, where we review the reviews. Dude, we should give our own star ratings for these reviews. <laughs> oh, a, th- a third reading, our own reviews. Alright. <clears throat> From the book of Secret Happy, chapter 58, verse 7, <laughs> line 23. <laughs> Gerard Butler is kick-ass. <laughs> This movie is awesome. A must-see. Yes, everything you want in the movie. Thrills, suspense, and wonderful ending. Satisfies your every need. Gerard Butler is genuine and kick-ass. Amazing cast. The best part is it has the 90s vibe going on with classic old-fashioned action sequences without any of the modern cheesy explosions, computer-generated graphics, or unnecessary plot fillers that make a movie drag. You're literally gripping onto your seat the whole time and actually feel like you're one of the passengers on this flight and you want Gerald Butler to be your pilot. Handsome. Stealth, <laughs> calm in a storm, and leading everyone to safety. Handsome, kissable, <laughs> clapping, and enjoying every moment as he kicks some serious hats. You won't be disappointed. So kissable. This movie is what you need on a dark, cold, and dreary winter. The itch you just want to scratch. Go see it now. <laughs> That fucking, that was, you want that Gerard was, Butler to be your pilot. Ellipses. Handsome. <laughs> handsome. <laughs> I need to see this review. I need to, let me find this shit. It's a 10? Uh, yeah, I, I'll put it in the chat. Oh. Peter, you didn't plan on doing any four or three stars? I've got a, reviews? no, I've got a five out of 10 here. Jake, are you trying to, okay, cool. to insinuate I, that you do not have your reviews prepared at the start of the show? <laughs> Uh no I well yeah I mean I don't I never prepare my reviews at the beginning because I just do one out of one out of tens and usually they're all the same some racist bigotry but uh this time I ran out of one stars there's no two stars so I got to go to three and this one isn't that interesting so I decided to look at four just now and it's a bit longer um and it might be a little bit better <laughs> um well we're waiting but I want to. <laughs> Uh, nah, I, I gotta go with three. I gotta, I gotta do the worst, the bottom tier. That's, That's what, what I'm here for. I'm, I'm the bottom feeder. What's your purpose, Jake? And well, because I feel if I read four, 
we're getting too yeah, many so Jake's, Jake's domain this. is one, two, and three. Just as mine is ten, I nine, and eight. Peter's is everything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That four, four is uh, encroaching on Peter's territory. So I will uh, leave that to him if he wants to check out that four. It's not. No, great. I've I've got a good one. Oh, believe we, me, we I'm prepare before the one. show. Uh, <laughs> Three out of ten. A movie with nothing new to offer by JP91. Plane, quote, is the first film production to be released in theaters this 2023. And the result is not favorable. Quote, Plane does not offer anything new. A recycled script full of cliches and predictable scenes it only becomes interesting during the first minutes in terms of the plane sequences that are reminiscent of disaster genre movies. The performances do their job without any additional merit, plus the director's work seems barely to exist. The cinematography is conventional without any appeal. The soundtrack goes completely unnoticed. The action scenes are bland, and in some scenes the digital effects are quite unreal. A bad movie that fails to take off. Three out of eight. I found that helpful. But, yeah, it's okay. It's all right. Sorry I don't got any juice don't for worry. you this I time. Don't worry. I got one to finish this off here. Got one. Oh, loving it. Uh, from Petrolin2311039. Their five out of ten review. Only for Butler fans. Script clearly not written by airplane pilots <laughs> we're off to a great start <laughs> a complete power failure and flight instrument backups not the least suspension of disbelief cell phones working but no one using built in corpus let alone GPS signals Heads rolled and 50 cal gun explosively drilling through cars and trucks. One hero vanishes with the money, but we don't know where or how. Editing allows rescue crew to parachute in to help rescue survivors. (laughs) All in all, don't pay attention to any of flaws, comma, editing. Uh, where did I lose it? There. And at times, silly dialogue. Sit back and enjoy spending an afternoon entertained as only Gerard Butler can do with a grimace and a smile. <laughs> Zero out of two. Oh, nice. So well, that's finished. That's plain, baby. That's plain. Clear script clearly not written by airplane pilots. <laughs> no, typically that's done by Hollywood screenwriters. <laughs> oh. The entire script had to be, all right. So uh, we involve a plane on our in our movie. So here's our plane expert to write the entire script. You can write all Gerard Butler's lines. A house party, it's hot on plane's heels, except they're worlds apart. But it opened in six and fourteen hundred theaters, bringing in four point six million dollars for Warner Brothers and their uh, beleaguered financial fortunes. Mm-hmm. Black Panther Wakanda Forever it finds itself in 7th and it's 10th week $3 million for that The Whale 
finds itself in eighth in fifteen hundred theaters. Um, one point nine million dollars. Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody. Is in ninth with one point four two million dollars. Uh, from TriStar. And Walter Viraya um, opened in 350 theaters, uh, bringing in $1.2 million to round out the top 10. Uh, the story between a fisherman and his friend, Egoistic ACP Vikram Sagar's IPS, who stops Viraya from smuggling goods. <laughs> I mean, that's supposed to be egotistic, but it's clearly misspelled. Yes, I guess. ACP Vikram Sagar IPS. So he's Interpol, I guess. Some it's it's Indian cop movie. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, another one. Skinnerink finally opens. And eleventh, I I believe we've I've heard of this before. I have too. I heard a lot of like, I, I don't know. Every now and then you'll find a movie that like goes viral for being the scariest new movie to be released, and people who aren't paid to make those <laughs> videos <laughs> usually watch them and say it's not that great. And what I've heard is it's like watching paint dry. In its like truest form, because it's a uh, one of those found mm. footage movies, where it literally just like shows walls and you hear oh, okay. creepy sounds in the background. Blair Witch style, baby. There's a, there's yeah. a, they also have green screen, or you know, um, not green screen, but um, alt- infrared fucking scopes of the audience <laughs> freaking out in their seats. Yeah. Oh yeah. If this was a bigger movie, probably. <laughs> Because that was the paranormal was activity the, uh, is the one I remember. Paranormal activity did that. Yeah, they were they were big on that. They were like, "This is our bread and butter." Yeah, baby. And just clearly hamming it up. Yeah, they don't make. They need to make bring that shit back for commercials for these things. Yeah, right. Bring it back. Yeah, theaters are open. They're like they can't pay people enough to like fill a theater like they did in those <laughs> yeah. videos. There's just it's just like They're one like, person kind of like in the popcorn. corner back here. <laughs> And like you, you can't even see their face because there's always, and there's always like the dude that like throws yeah. his popcorn up in Which the air. No it's one's like, ever done that before. Do that. No, nobody's ever done that. At least not on like purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you trip and you fall and drop your popcorn. Yeah, I, me- I don't like, think you're jumping you're so scared. hard that the popcorn's flying that far, far in the air. No, it's bullshit. If anything, I grab it's my popcorn bullshit, closer. bullshit, and it's unrealistic, and we're going to talk about gaming yeah. news. <laughs> we're gaming, gentlemen. Um, I've got a Let's... couple stories and then a game review. Um, Marvel's Avengers won't be supported after September, so a scant two years, actually not even quite two years since its release, um... Squeenix is dropping it like a bad habit. <laughs> and uh, yet these live service games keep continuing to be a thing. Like Gotham yep. Knights and I think Marvel's Midnight Suns is kind of like the exact same sort mm-hmm. of thing. 
yes, the they same somehow. Yeah. Um, do we met? Do we talk about Stadia? Well, say has been. We've known Stadia is going to die. They just released the tool right. to unlock the Bluetooth controller. Un- what? So previously, you couldn't use the Bluetooth controller on any other Bluetooth device. It was locked to Stadia. So they released a tool to update the firmware to allow it to be used on every other Bluetooth device. Oh, that's nice. That. It's a, See, it's I a knew, solution I to a problem that shouldn't, shouldn't have existed. No, I agree with you. But at least they do. At least they did a somewhat responsible thing and prevented, however many Stadia controllers are out there, from becoming e-waste. Yeah. Or maybe they were getting too much flack for like trying to get returns and shit. Mm. But yeah, that that's good. At least you can use your Stadia controller as a normal one. Yeah. The. Uh... Was it? Yeah, Stadia's finally finally kicked it this week. So yeah, it's uh, it's officially it no more. But we've known about its its death. Well, it was dead on arrival. Yeah. Let's be honest. But mm-hmm. <laughs> we've known about its official death for some time now. Yeah, I, I like to see like why. I wonder why it, it failed as hard as it did. Because um, it, it's. It, it's a terrible yeah, like value proposition. Like it worked infrequently. Um, like if you didn't yeah. have really good internet and live physically very close to one of the servers, like your performance would be shit. You had to pay full price for the games you played on it. Yeah. Like it was just a bad idea from like the it, start. It, mm-hmm. It it doesn't sound like it's. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of like really big hurdles to get over. Like you would almost need to. I mean, one perfect the connection, software. I almost you need to like have it local. You couldn't really play too many online games. Um, you'd have to you have to turn it into basically one I don't of those. Uh, like I don't think our in internet. One, you know those like, structure, infrastructure is is good enough for, for viable cloud gaming yet. Well, in that it also seemed like it was, it was almost being directed towards people who like didn't have the capability to buy, to go out and buy an Xbox or a whole PC or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's like if you don't have enough money for a whole ass Xbox and shit like that, what makes you think that they're gonna have enough money to have good enough internet yeah, exactly. and Wi-Fi to support Stadia? And like to get good quality streaming was extra on top of that. It was, there's a lot of things that were, were bad with Stadia and it's really not a surprise that it failed. Um, speaking of things going away, uh, Microsoft will stop selling Windows 10 licenses this month. So uh, get your gray market $30 Windows oh 10 key while you can. Because uh, the supply is going to be drying up pretty soon. Uh, we'll all have to move to Windows 11, which is functionally 98% the same. Yeah. I'm going to say, like, whatever. I feel like they've, they did uh, reasonable due diligence and cleaned up the issues that everyone had with it from the beginning. Yeah. It's a pretty, it's pretty much fine. The only f- complaint I have with Windows 11 is uh, the having the click the show more options to get the full like control panel when you right click on the desktop. 
but there is there's a setting I think you can tweak to make that happen. Mm -hmm. But really, everything else you can summon the task manager by right clicking the taskbar again. Now, um, every, everything else works functionally the same. It just has a little bit more visual tweak, and your um, icons are centered in your taskbar, which I like that design language better personally. But that's it's largely the same, and it works well. Uh, but yep. not well um, enough to save ten thousand jobs at Microsoft, uh, no mostly sir. in their Xbox division. So huge layoffs happened. Uh, a lot of three four three in particular were let go. Um. Because I think they were, I mean, I'm sure they were banking on Halo Infinite to be the, to be like a fucking smash success. Yeah. And when it did just okay, they were, I feel well, like they counted that as falling short. I've been like half paying attention to like Halo Infinite's like drops and it's, they're not coming out with enough content to like make it fresh and like a, a new gaming experience. I think that's what people want. Um, and, and I think they wanted a game that was finished not, at release. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. The, I mean, don't we all? Nowadays, we're not. We're getting the bits and pieces uh, of of the rest of the game. Not yeah, because they didn't have Forge. They didn't have like multiplayer. There's a whole mess of issues upon release of that game. But the other thing we need to look like Fortnite continues to be this ever present like beast of a game and I think part of the reason is that it constantly remakes itself and brings in different IP and different DLC that people can get and a like a new color palette for your armor and like a symbol that ain't it like the the stuff that they're coming out with is almost laughable to the point where you have to grind hours and hours to get a new color scheme for your armor where they tried to sell it as this uh, the most customizable Halo ever in the world that has ever come out with, and it's not that. In theory, it could be if you spent all this money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, if you if you spend on a, they came out with a, they found what was like twenty five hundred dollars or something like that. If you spent all that money to on the game, you could unlock everything, but. It, that's not what people want. People want something to grind for. They want they want something to actually. I remember play in Modern Warfare Two. You got weapon time. camos for getting headshots with the weapon. Yeah, that, there were, what was wrong with that? I don't I don't understand. And even, you know, the the new Modern Warfare Two is is similar to that where it's it they're doable. They're doable achievements. You can get the skins, and it feels like you're accomplishing something. And they did something different with their weapon upgrade system which is actually not terrible um but I, I don't know it's just the same game modes over and over again and the the maps aren't fresh enough to make me feel like i want to come back and play and play and play and the competitive scene is fine if you're into that um yeah i, I don't know okay. I'm not surprised that Infinite's taken a toll. I just wish they did more. It seems like they could have done more um, to release stuff 
And maybe it's just people getting overworked or maybe it's something from higher up that they're telling them to hold back content to monetize it if later. they are, that's, a, not a, that's not I, a winning strategy. I strat. think it's probably um, more the latter than the former. Much like, yeah, much like these, uh, Jake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say three letters to you and I want you to go on a rant. Okay, I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna say your trigger phrase, um, or maybe it's six letters. D N D O G L. That's right. That that was another big technically gaming. Uh, I mean, it news, is more video gaming than you think because it's it's related to an online yep. subscription now, right? Well, yeah, yeah. A lot of D and D is moving towards online. Um, I just played D and D last night, uh, so I am. Uh, I, I've talked to a couple people who I work with as well that that are in tune with it. Uh, I'll be I'll be honest. I haven't really read into a lot of the stuff, but I've I've heard a lot of the responses, and I've looked into a good amount of it. So basically, I guess a long time ago, uh, back at old Wizards of the Coast, um, who owns D and D. Uh, they made the an open game license or something where they didn't have an open game license. It was just one point content. They said you can use yeah. our content, take our our D and D rule set, and apply it to whatever you want. Put your own skin on it, sell it, make money, go crazy. And that was wonderful because it was able to. All these different micro communities to put their own spin on D and D, sell their products, get people into D and D, and you know, it, it, before you knew it, it was so, all over the place. In different so this forms. applies not just to things like Critical Role, which are media bait that use D and D, but also to things like supplement books and things that are meant to supplement D and D, right? Okay. Supplemental books, um, anything that may use characters, like the D&D logos, logo or, name, or yeah. franchise characters even like stuff that's like trademark like they're they're i don't know if you can like trademark wizard or so like spell names so like um let's i'll say this for example so like um like uh spell cards if there is if you don't like the thing that they wizard of the coast provides or it's too expensive uh, uh, another company can sell spell cards that are more affordable or a different type maybe they're more expensive, but they're better quality. Um, and it's basically taking Wizards IP and copying it, essentially, and then selling it for a profit. Um, so that has existed in D&D for ages. And there has been... I don't know Fourth if it was edition, an contract. It went to a closed game license, and there was a lot of backlash to it. So this isn't the first time yeah. in like super recent history that this has been attempted or happened yeah and then they came out with fifth edition I, yeah i don't i'm not super familiar i, I just with the, watched the legal the exact eagle video on things. this the other day yeah yeah so there's there, there's also something with like the rules like the rules aren't exclusive to the game but like a pamphlet might so you can like, like they've allowed people to like copy the rules and, and make their own stuff out of it. But essentially there was this this contract or this written clause or something or this agreement that said we're never going to like force monetization or force uh, royalties on anybody. We're going to have this game license where everybody can use it and it's open source. And then they 
recently, I think it was like, what, two weeks ago or something like that, um, there was a leak from an, inside the uh, mm-hmm. company that came out with the open game license 1.1, an update that basically said, you know, we, we have to start monetizing DMD better. And, and part of that was to um, any companies that are making $750,000 of profit, of profit or no revenue of revenue um, have to give like a 25% royalties check to wizard of the coast. Um, and that will cripple right. uh, it's revenue. small companies. And these are essentially, not th- yeah, profit, this is yeah. revenue. This isn't profit. This isn't profit. That was revenue. That was everything you make off of it before you account for, you know, labor and supplies and all that. And a lot of times those have really tight margins because they're smaller companies. They're paying more for specialty work. For reference. And they're also not as much volume. Yeah. So like think of think of a small company that's only making like a, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand of a product and selling it for a hundred dollars a piece. It's like they're not making all that much money on it because it has to be affordable to the community. They have to pay their workers mm-hmm. and they're probably doing low volume of uh, supplies. So like the the the, re- the profit in that is yeah, probably pretty reference. small. And twenty five percent would yeah. kill um, like at this point like seventy five thousand is I don't know about you, Jake. I feel it's it's like a little. It's a maybe a medium bit more than what we make as like salary right now. That's mm-hmm. a that's a pretty good, uh, you know, fairly good regular salary. So like seven... one person's yearly takings. So if you have like a company that has like that needs to support two or more people, you're already like fucking over that. Like so. You know, if you're making dice towers, right? Like it's like seven hundred fifty thousand, like Peter. Seven hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought, yeah. se- yeah. thought seventy five thousand. I was like, "What the fuck are you on about?" No. No, but that's still. I mean, that's yeah. Still, moderately you know, sized companies of, will have to to bear that. I think the the intent behind that figure was that like people running shit out of their Etsy shop wouldn't get hit by it but there are a lot of you know intermediary companies and maybe even some larger like game stores that would have to to bear the brunt of this Mm -hmm. so it's it's not great but at the same time it was was a courtesy that was being extended by the rights holders to this property Sure, but it was also helping them. Like, they're, they're the big argument there is like, yeah, it was something that they didn't need to do and it's uh, kind of unique to them. But that's also, you could argue, why D&D became so popular as it is, is because it was available and to so many people. Apparently, they're, and they're willing to make off. the counter argument that this was better for their bottom line. And, and the community has spoken and the community outcry has been crazy mm-hmm. and loud. Um, a lot of companies uh, kind of pushing back and saying, okay, well, we're going to stop like selling your product. We're going to stop all business altogether. Um, really prominent companies too that I've seen at uh, PAX Unplugged um, that have like a big support system uh, and a big fan base. Um, there are some big companies like Critical Role 
who have kind of kept quiet about this. It seems like if you're working directly with Wizards of the Coast, you don't you really bite the hand that feeds, much. no. Uh, exactly, and, and you probably can't. There's probably some NDAs out there that they can't really. Um, uh, I'm sure you know, privately talk openly about these kind of po- against yeah pr- privately. Quote, I'm sure most. Yeah. You know, share the philosophy that the creator of the game shared that no one mm-hmm. person should own Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but at the same time, because of the way the legal system in this country works, an entity does own Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But the best way to protest this, probably, and I think the, the right thing that they did was, um, you know, garner all the support and kind of hit Wizards of the Coast where it hurts the most, and that was through their pocketbooks. And uh, you saw a large uh, amount of people end up uh, canceling their subscription to D&D Beyond. Um, and apparently that's where they make a lot of revenue. I would imagine. Because like so, D&D, it's kind of a uh, weird thing, where yeah. like it seems like it is the least reliant thing on like officially put out merchandise (laughs) like most of the contents user generated yeah what they sell at the core is a system and a system a set of rules that's out there is yeah yeah, you could very easily transmittable it's very easy to to see you know world where we call it uh dragoons and uh (laughs) dungons yeah obliettes and and ostriches (laughs) um well yeah, and and, uh, and you know they, they don't have to update it all the time. They they just have to come out with a rules update every once in a while. Um, we've been playing Five E for years now, and nothing's really changed to it. The only thing that's come out with the different modules and uh, different like playbooks, um, like Tasha's Cauldron, um, the Menagerie of Monsters. So like, there's different. Um, groups of items that they can come out with and and they even do like supplemental sets where they put in magic the gathering they brought in critical role and brought in their universe even to it um where you can have um kind of collaborations and ip crossovers with that um so that's you know essentially all that they're coming out with for new content uh and and miniatures uh you know dice and everything that's you know bland generic whatevers uh and everything else is supplemental like um pieces of that make life easier when you're playing D. that's like the side companies um that that are you know applying accessories for that that you know wizards of the coast really doesn't deal with all that so i can't imagine they're they're probably not making a ton of money off of it but they're also not spending a lot of money on it it's just this ip thing that is possibly a whale or you know but it's got to be a gentle dance where if they try to milk this this big cash cow of D too much they're gonna kill it and if they strangle it too much like they're they almost did with the open game license 1.1 um they they could they could drive a lot of people away from it uh which they almost did and it seems like they've reversed part of their but on the other hand they've also said um, like uh, but not really keep going forward with this because it's a business thing and (laughs) business people just kind of do their own thing yeah i mean they they want the line to go up but hasbro right now needs to rise its stock because it's not 
doing so hot and they're going to lean on their profitable IPs. We see the same thing happening with Magic and they're not really focused on the long-term health of these things so much as they are on their, their short-term returns. Yeah, and, and, that, and that sucks. It's like they're going to milk like a lot of the initial profit off of this and then not really care what happens next year and and then now they're not going to have like the budget to make a new book or you know whatever sixth edition if they ever do I think D&D is one of those um, things that will be eternal if you know whatever company fails or or a spiritual successor that's functionally identical will rise up and take its place well, D and D is one of those unique things where you don't need you don't need yeah. the servers to be running. You don't need the um, you don't need the latest and greatest books. A lot of people are happy with five e. A lot of people are happy with three five. Um, you know, so you have different options to play D and D and different like sort of rule sets. And if that's how you want to play, that's how you want to play. Nobody's forcing you to play one thing or the other. And you, it's not like you can not you can homebrew shit. You can. Make your own character. You can go on a Reddit post and and find out uh, builds and rule clarifications on certain things. And the rest is up to you guys. That's what the magic of D and D is. Is it's you can just do it in your in your kitchen at your kitchen do it table on the with kitchen, some paper and, on the and kitchen some books. counter. Yeah, you can do it on the couch. Like there's, there's, it can be done anywhere. Um, you can do it lying yeah, down. That's really all there is to it. it um, two or three we'll or wait for four more people updates. at a time. All right, so I got a little bit of Good. a game review before we get into our feature presentation. And today we're going to be talking about Rogue Legacy 2. Rogue of Legacy 2. Um, <laughs> the legacy of the legacy. So Rogue Legacy came out in 2013, and I don't... I can't confidently say it invented the roguelite genre, but it was certainly the first game that kind of brought it to to more wide attention. And I played that game because it, it seemed kind of neat. Um, and I was it was very um, hard to get a footing in. It was kind of clunky, rough around the edges a little bit. Um, the early game balancing wasn't so good. It it you were basically like two hits and you were dead at the beginning and you couldn't get very far. And how it goes, you're exploring a castle. Every time you die, your heir takes over in the quest to to fight the the four or in the new one the mm-hmm. six bosses and open the the gate in the castle and and take your story based reward. Um, and while a lot of people liked Rogue's Legacy, I found it kind of hard to get into, and it was like 8-bit, really low-budget, indie-rific stuff. Fast forward about a decade, and Rogue's Legacy 2 comes out, and it basically takes everything the original did well, takes great strides to smoothing out um, the early game difficulty and adding in a lot more movement options and creates simultaneously one of the funner roguelites to play with a huge variety and diversity of character classes that all function differently, have their own strengths and weaknesses. And there's, you can go on to the subreddit and there will be eight people. You ask eight people what your favorite class is. You'll probably get six or seven different answers. 
Um, it really kind of fits to how you like to play the game more so than, yes, there's an objectively best class. Um, so you go around, you earn your gold. Um, there's other things now like ore and uh, blood for runes and armor and weapon upgrades. Um, it is one of the grindier roguelites out there, so you will spend a lot of time with it, but uh, you'll probably enjoy the time you spend with it because it, it looks beautiful. Like Everything's beautifully drawn. It has wonderful 2D sprites. Um, it's the first game I've really played through start to finish on my new OLED monitor, and it looked fantastic. Um, the platforming is super precise, super fun to play around with. Um, it's one of the best platformers I've played in a long time, and that's not even its primary intent. Uh, the bosses are, are all unique and interesting. Um, they're tough but fair, and the whole game is tough but fair. Whereas the the last game I felt was a little, uh, little less fair about the difficulty, but I uh, I've been plugging away at this for a while and I've I've beaten the final boss and it was a fun ride and there was a lot of cool things in it. One of the fun experiences of playing the game is that each each air you you play, you know, you get you make progress on every run and sometimes you make a lot more progress than you were expecting. You know, you, you beat that boss by the skin of your teeth and you find some, some health pickups and you, you go like all the way through the next area. And that kind of, that, that person you played is memorialized in your hallway. And then you're walking down the hallway, you're like, Oh yeah. In my case, I had a character, Timothy the second, he did really good work. And then when I finally beat the game, it, ironically enough, it turned out that it was Timothy the Third, who was my heir when when I beat the game. So that that family line had a had a wonderful history, and they're they're both legends. And it's kind of cool that that sort of stuff goes in. But at the end of the day, the gameplay is super fun, super easy to pick up and play. Um, lots of room to to get good and, and master certain things, and there's a lot of extra content that I haven't even really gotten a chance to dive into yet, but just playing through the main progression of the story, it's good. And it's like 25 bucks. Um, it's a great okay. deal. It looks, looks amazing. Um, I think it's on pretty much all the major platforms right now. Um, I played it on PC, um, plays great on a controller. I would recommend it on a controller if you're going to play on PC. Uh, but it has some really tight controls, really fun gameplay, uh, really good depth in terms of different classes and different spells and how everything kind of interacts together. And if you you know how I feel about roguelites, I think that the perfect game for you know bite-sized sessions that you often find yourself having as an adult. And uh, Rogue's Legacy Two is definitely one of the finer examples of the genre. Cool. And with that, let's talk about the whale. The the Darren Arf, the Darren Arfsky. Yeah. From director Darren Aronofsky, oh, okay. who brings you such films as Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, and Black Swan, comes a movie that is not a ton like all those other movies, except in the fact that it is aggressively sad and technically not that great. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, that's, that's the whale. So obviously, I mean, the stand, the reason we went to see this um, was because of Brandon Frey, the Renaissance. Yes, the we're big the supporters of the Renaissance. In fact, uh, Brendan Fraser himself, he's doing the, you know, it's almost it's almost the cliche of like the out of work actor, like having to do the crazy role to get back in the spotlight. But like it's real and it worked, I'd say, because yeah. everyone's there's no doubt that his performance in this was uh, real good. Yeah, he was fantastic in this movie, although I kind of I find myself wondering uh, something I've often wondered about. Heath Ledger in the Dark Knight like was the performance enhanced by your knowledge of the actor like in Heath Ledger's case you know that he was like unwell enough to to take his own life and um in Brandon Fraser's case you know the stuff he's been through and you you want good things for him so when you see his character you're kind of projecting that sympathy onto his character a little bit mm-hmm. or at least i was i because charlie doesn't do a whole lot in the movie to like win you over other than struggling with obesity but i felt right. very sympathetic and protective of the character i would say that the kind of context regarding uh brendan fraser it, it was for me maybe just like maybe just like seasoning um honestly i can say that like on a on a strict like objective as objective as you can get in these things he just had a good performance and that oh no i'm not i'm not saying it it wasn't good Um, no like yeah so um i guess to to talk about it like so i here's my here's my fucking soundbite for this um the whale is the cinematic opposite of black adam (laughs) Because this movie, <laughs> right? I'm intrigued. <laughs> so, so a Go lot on. of what we criticized Rock, uh, the Rock's performance in Black Adam was, is that he didn't put any effort in, and they shot him from like the chest up, so he would have to put even less effort into his performance. Um, but for all the reasons that kind of failed, like the whale succeeded because it's obviously it's the. The costume is a mix of prosthetic, and I have to assume some amount of CGI. I don't think Brendan Fraser is eight feet tall. Yeah, like um, how tall is he supposed to be in this movie? Because it like it's a great effect. Because like he, you know, so whenever he draws himself up to his full height, he's like a fucking monster. It's crazy. The uh, uh, the I heard the fat suit that he wore was three hundred pounds. If that's true, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. So, could believe it. That's a lot of prosthetic. That's a lot of stuff. I there there are there are elements of that like uh, like the the fingers like yeah. even his mm-hmm. fingers were fat like did he have I would to wear assume so. that's I don't know I don't know how much like, of it was prosthetic and how much was CG it's nuts um but anyway so a lot of this movie like a lot of the really good parts of this movie are when they just leave the camera on Brendan Fraser's face and he just they just say do the thing act with your act with all your face and he uses like one hundred and ten percent of his face to express like seven different emotions at the same time. And he's like staring at the, he's like staring off into the distance with them steely blue eyes. And he's got like his eyebrows are working over time and his face is doing everything. I'm just like, Oh my God, he's think he's, his character is thinking things. There's a world of emotion inside him at the moment. 
and yeah. like and you, they do yeah, it they do it I, a few times to, and every time i'm like yes i just show me like let me watch brendan fraser <laughs> make faces <laughs> it's so good well yeah to build off that 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 was one thing that really stood out to me was the um the amount of times you could see just his expressions kind of portray certain um uh, uh responses to to things going around and uh, around him like even even when he would eat like he would he did this a couple times when he would um like go into these like almost uh uh the, like hypnotic trance of like eating food the binge trance like you could see that he like turned into a different person and that was like his body language changed his his facial expression changed his, like, even um not responding to liz um who uh like everybody's giving Brendan Fraser a lot of praise. I, you know, I, the one of the first things I heard was like Sadie Sink um, didn't really do that great. And uh, yeah, when you have like a one-dimensional character, it's hard to really yeah, like give that great of a performance that that's moving. When this movie, yeah, it was especially when you have like the tonal adjacent uh, uh, adjacent mm-hmm. character of. Um, or the Brendan foil character, I guess is um, the word right. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like the foil. He's also just like he's like just complex and there's layers to him. There's he has that anger, he has that cynicism, but just for himself, he has that positivity. He has that kind of uh that low sadness because he's like facing death. Like that's kind of one of the first things that jumps out to you in this movie is that the for the entirety of this movie, he is facing death in the face and he is kind of having to come to terms with that. And you're really um, frustrated watching it because he has the facilities to take steps to save himself but doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, not only the facilities but also like the the character. Yeah. You want to save him as a character because they set him up in the beginning as a likable person. His interactions well, with Liz. I think that's the um, kicker. Right, I guess I I, I kind of want to talk yeah. about spoilers because we because we got to talk about like the character. Yeah. And stuff, so I gotta but, um, in brief, I'm not gonna disagree with the consensus you've likely heard at this point that Brandon Fraser's really good, but the movie around him kind of sucks. It's very clear that this was direct adapted like really directly from a stage play. Yeah. Um, because there's obviously the set. Right, that's that's just they filmed it yeah. the same way that you would uh, set up a, a play, which is that you have the nice one set. This not just a play, but like kind of an artsy Broadway play where you have the one set, and a lot of it is two characters doing dialogue, and then one of the characters goes away, and two other characters come and do dialogue, and they have their scenes together, and there are even some blocking choices in the movie where. It's very. It's almost comes off as stilted because they're. It feels like they're reading lines and they're trying like project to an audience. Yeah. Well, not only that, but also like that makes it makes a lot of sense now that you put it as like um in the context of a stage play because one of the and I didn't know if this was like a a a choice that Darren uh, Aronofsky made uh like consciously to say. Okay, now you're gonna walk. You're gonna get up from this chair and walk to the other side of the room, and then you say your line, and then you're gonna walk, walk to the other side of the room, say your line, and then sit down, and then you're gonna do the you, like they he repeated that same thing. I kind of just got that as like, 
maybe a um, uh, a opposing viewpoint of somebody who's like sitting and can't move around very easily. So he has to give his dialogue from this position and mainly this position for the entirety of the movie while they can move around all across the house and use up all the space. But in the end, it kind of felt like I was watching a play where these characters have to use the stage and use the entirety of the, the what they're given to make their performance and make it even better. That, mm-hmm. that was just something I noticed that like maybe to back that up is like it felt and a then, lot like a stage play. And also just the setting of it was one location, one shot. They never went outside except for the on the yep. porch. Um, and it, it was a... Um, Did anyone else... It was, okay, it was adapted from a book into a stage play and then into... Um, Oh. the the movie did anyone else like have their heart break a little when you saw that he lived on a second floor like walk up apartment oh yeah that was that was excellent it was like oh no yeah that was uh there was a lot of like irony and ironic things that kind of put that into perspective mm-hmm. that was wild so um, yeah i would say go go watch yeah. this for just or just watch all the Brendan Fraser scenes. I I don't know if context how much the context of the scenes themselves yeah. gives weight to his I, performance. I would wait. I think it's. I would wait to see yeah. this at home though. I don't think this is worth the trip to the theater. And. Yeah, yeah, definitely not like a. It doesn't need to be a theatrical. Yeah. Thank, thank one you, Darren, watch, for but, for not um, putting this on streaming because you're like a purist and just you gotta go see it in the theater. You gotta even though we put it in four by three. You gotta see. Okay, it in the I was gonna ask that, like, because I, yeah. I got yep. stuck in like the last theater in in Crossgates, and I was wondering if just like the aspect ratio adjustment drapes didn't work because it was such a shitty theater. But no, nope. okay, it's he it's just... in four by three. Yeah, it's, yeah, we need to see it on the big screen. <laughs> what do why put on streaming? Come on now, um. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, that's mainly my thoughts. Were you go, expecting you an IMAX deal. release for the whale? <laughs> <laughs> do we want to do spoilers or Jake? What do you think? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Jump into spoilers. So, um, I keep on I'll, forgetting I'll, his I'll, name. Then I'll start um, out. This motherfucker can can fucking eat a sandwich. This motherfucker <laughs> can go in on those binge scenes. Like those were nuts. Yeah, like, it was kind of, it was interesting, because they really, they only dipped their toe into it a couple of times for most of the movie. And then Mm -hmm. the scene where he's, like, at his lowest. Yeah. And I'm like, is he just going to try to eat himself to death right now? And he has that really uncomfortable to watch. Like, I think I I looked away at a couple points. scene with the pizzas and all the other shit the the classic binge and purge um well i was i was like oh dude ranch on pizza is so good though (laughs) i felt really bad like yeah that that sounds good but maybe not two slices at Mm -hmm. once but um the fucking yeah that 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 image in my mind of him taking the one slice and then slapping it on top of the other slice and taking both and double decorate like that's seared into my mind i see it in my nightmares and the other thing to to note the other thing to note about it while i was watching that was like you kind of realize he's not he's not just eating because things are tasting good 
Yeah, I don't think he's eating because he's hungry. Uh, uh, he's just eating to yeah. eat. Like he's not the the stuff that he was making was just like how can I put the most stuff of food when you get into my body at once? He's putting chips on a peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. And when you care, he just I I think himself. no one gets that big. No one lets themselves get that big just because you know they have a healthy appetite or whatever like you're you're eating to try to fill a hole in yourself if if you get to that point and yeah. it's and i've and i've heard people being like oh this movie is like exploitative for for fat people or it's fat phobic. but it's like this is not that this is a step beyond no, i mean no you you see you watch you go you take one minute to browse yeah, TLC. 600 pound life. That's exploitative. 1,000 pound you, sisters. You have the 600 pound life, 1,000 pound sisters who have made money and TLC is making money off of these people who have these debilitating diseases and mental health problems that can't get help or that don't want to get help. And all we can do is care about the fact that she said something funny or she mispronounced something. And, you know, we're going to zoom in on that that gut mm. of hers and then see how low that hangs. Instead, this movie, you know, doesn't exploit it, but kind of just like kind of shows us the ugly, honest truth, which is a big premise of this movie and says, look, this is what people are struggling with. And, you know, the, the reasons may vary. Um, here's one of them. And, and you know, it kind of just boils down to like what Kurt said, filling that void that that is missing from them. And in some cases, it might be the boyfriend missing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, dying and, and that depression uh, or the family being like gone from their life. I think it was a culmination of a lot of different things that happened to Charlie, the boyfriend dying and c- committing suicide. The the fact that he realized probably that he's never going to see his daughter again because he threw that away kind of when he, he chose his life because Everybody in this movie is like yes. flawed. Because we say how much flawed, we want to save him, which but is, like we're also leaving. We were leaving out the part where he cheated on his wife for a dude, and like left his wife and kid. Yeah. And the entire time he's like justifying it too. He's See, that's kind of where I, that, I wonder how um, much is is projected from you know our personal feelings of Brendan Fraser because the movie does not go to great lengths to make Charlie seem like a great person. You right. feel bad for he, him because well, of his obesity and the challenges it presents a, and he he generally is a gentle soul like he's a really gentle and vulnerable dude. That's what I mean, but that that just kind of shows that like even gentle people, even people who you might want to empathize with and sympathize with they may also not be completely in the right. I, he's not the worst character. He's probably the best character um, in terms of like who's going to be well, good I think or not. I mean, yeah, uh, I would say you may look at Liz the least and see that she's like, yeah, but Liz, Liz is like out of guilt helping Charlie um, take care of himself when he can't really take care of himself at this she's point. She's an enabler. But, yeah. Who do you think was bringing her food? She's the enabler of the movie. The you you could also say that um, that his daughter was the was was a was a kind soul because she was actually the one to say, "Hey, let's try to get you help. We need to get you help." Um, she's giving him the the healthier food. She's like giving challenging him, his world. Um, yeah, trying to get him to walk, challenging him. 
um, and trying to like and, and being honest with him and being like, hey, you you fucked us up. Like, why didn't you do all this? Um, but at the end, like when when you take it all away, she's she's know, she's pretty bad person. <laughs> his daughter, and she still loves him. She's a fucking terrible person with like. Like I mean, you say gave her some healthier food, but um, he also she used that opportunity to drug him and nearly killed him. him. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's. Uh, the, um. Yeah. There's. There's. She's, yeah. Like it seems like I think that's every fun. character in this movie is just there to like make you feel worse. <laughs> can we can we agree that the uh, the missionary kid. Is is probably the shittiest. He is, and just he's as a, just as a character, he, maybe not he, in terms of the impact of his actions. He also doesn't seem necessary. You know, like they, I really feel like they didn't utilize a lot of the the angles they could have with that character. Yeah, I mean, I think. He, it's they weird spend they, so much time on him, so and it really goes nowhere, and has very and little bearing on the story. the The only purpose is to show that, or I don't even know, because she, his daughter, uh, Sadie Singh's character, um, kind of, you know, outs him and and tries to show that he's like this terrible person that stole from his church, Ellie. Um, stole from the church and you know went off as he's selfish and yada 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 by posting it on Facebook. But in the end, that honesty, that truth that comes out, ends up forcing him back home and having his family accept him because you kind of can draw the parallel between him and Alan, uh, Charlie's boyfriend who committed suicide, um, where he could have gone down a similar path. He could have been exiled by his family, by his church. Um, and lost faith and that was the only thing holding him to reality and when there was nothing else left he could have killed himself so by ellie's intervention and being that like brutal honesty and bring him back to his family although in a very well, that, mean that's kind of the question is like what was way, her intent and brandon fraser ever the optimist yeah. wants wants his daughter to be a good person so he, he he's like oh he's just trying to help exactly. him but the audience is kind of more inclined to think that she's just being a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that draws the, the, uh, kind of idea is that a, um, you know, even if it was bad intent, the ends ended up kind of justifying that, um, or maybe not justifying that, but the end kind of worked out for the better. Right. You know, she may have inadvertently helped him, but she intended on hurting him. Um, I don't. I think they could have done better with that being applied to Charlie because she just like fucking yeah, attacked just him on Facebook. No, it's very, evil yeah, shit. It's very like I said. Uh, the the Japanese trope for this would be the sundere, the person who like really the, who puts up an abrasive front, but has like they're doing it to hide their own feelings. Um, which is deep, like deep down, it's very obvious. Like it is uh, deep down, she definitely does care, but she she expresses it by just being a brat. Well, she wants to be angry at him for walking out on them, which is reasonable. Yeah, but like, it, I just feel like a lot of the theming of this movie is really unfocused. 
Like it's, I feel like mm-hmm. it's trying to say a lot of different stuff, but in in doing so, it really ends up saying nothing. Yeah, it's like from what we've been talking about, right? How does that connect to the the ending of the movie, which is to me like it doesn't seem to fit thematically with the rest of it? Because like the other theme that was big for me was like, which I liked was that Charlie's he like his almost superpower. <laughs> I don't know, like his big strength was that. He was just super vulnerable with people, and he just said, like, it's the same. Like, he he could just, he's so emotionally, like, padded at this point where he could just take any, anything anyone says, except for in the beginning where he just keeps saying, keeps apologizing yeah. and thinking that's going to help. But, like, at least his approach to everyone is just, like, give it to me straight. Just fucking send daggers at me. It's, I'll, I'll deal with it, even though he doesn't deal with it, right? But mm-hmm. at the end... Like, how is getting Ellie to read the poem or, or or read the essay, like, how does that relate to themes of, like, vulnerability and, and shades of gray, right, and wrong, and doing the in, the good thing even though it uh, causes, like, well, harm? It doesn't seem I to... I think... It doesn't seem to connect. It doesn't really. I think that it's more of a surface-level connection to the beginning of the movie and his desire to have to have that read to him as he's dying so in the end he's aware that he's dying he's gonna die and mm-hmm. you know it him hearing his daughter read the essay um you know that kind of like gave him completion and closure and that is symbolically represented by him yeah. getting up and walking to her and then getting flung up to heaven i guess <laughs> <laughs> which you, you, you gotta imagine uh, the the dark part of me was like yeah, i was thinking the exact same thing like his heart's gonna give out he's gonna fall and crush her and that's how this movie's gonna end <laughs> if we take it as like when he lifted off into heaven that he died He's going he down died right in front of her, uh, and she was yeah. right well, in front of I, him. It, that <laughs> kind of someone's got to clean up that fucking body now. It leads. I mean, it leads to the question: Did he actually get up and walk towards her, or is that just symbology? Like, did he die on uh, the couch? My my yeah. The realist in me says he probably just died on the couch because there's no way that he would be able to walk like that after struggling so mightily to even stand unaided. I, but it's one of those ambiguous yeah. ones and on where top you can of just kind of take what you want. But yeah. I, I don't know how well it connects. Trying to be artsy, um, but no, I agree, Peter. It doesn't really connect with the the theme of the movie, and the movie's focus tends to be in a lot of different places. Is it about the family relations? Is it about Charlie's struggle with obesity? Is it about you know morally conscionable right and wrong actions? Like and. Some of the characters How does are Moby Dick, which is like a tale of like the feudal chase to try and fight your inner demons and how that doesn't work out. Like that's what I think the theme of Moby Dick is, but I don't know how that Yeah, and it's not like here. Charlie tried to to solve his problem. Like if he if he you know, they had scenes where he's, you know, trying to eat healthier and and he just can't keep with it or or whatever that would be kind of like the feudal pursuit of of slaying your inner demons and this weird yeah. it kind of 
seems weird to me that Charlie's character would be of the opinion that um, having a pile of money to give to his daughter would be better than him being around for her if he loves her that much. Like, it yeah. just... it. Mm-hmm. It really didn't that's seem a... to like hold true, and that's why I kind of felt like a lot of the stuff was tacked on. So it's revealed at one Charlie, point in the you movie. Baka, I want you, you dummy. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's a good point. Yeah. Um, that I think maybe is what is like the what is the missing linchpin of this movie is the fact that um, the 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 thing that's unsettling is that that he waited till he had a week to live to reach out to his daughter directly. And you know, if he really wanted to, why didn't he, he tries do that to put earlier? up some defenses, but um, if she and 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 he always and and maybe this is uh, kind of the the crux of it is that he always finds excuses for his actions, finds excuses for eating, finds excuses for cheating, finds excuses for um, being out of their lives mm. for so long, and he always finds that excuse of like, oh no, like I. I asked about you. Like I asked your mom all the time. Like we call once a month, but then in the end he like reaches out to her directly and, and kind of subverts that. It's like, why didn't you do that earlier if you wanted to? Why didn't, why don't you check up on her more often? Like, why are you waiting until you're dying? Um, and you're not like really physically able to be with her and you kind of have to rely on her coming to you, uh, in order for, you to have this moment with your daughter and then on top of that make it be the most important aspect of your life to to be a part of her life um and then only and then you kind of get back to that whole good intentions may have like bad results or vice versa um where yeah he has a good intention of like being with her daughter but is that actually hurting her in the end because he's he's coming back into her life only to die a week later, days later, and she was put through this emotional roller coaster of "I hate you, you walked out on us," to "I kind of care for you," to "You're gone, you're dead to me," like you're or you're now you're dead. I can't, I can't have any closure. Um, but maybe he was trying to give her that closure of saying "I'm sorry" and "This is why I did what I did" to give her answers. Um, but it. Yeah, it it does kind of like give a ton of different messages throughout the movie that vaguely connect. I kind of took it more as like the overarching web of like what obesity and trauma it's, can do to a family yeah. and do to a person's life and how it rips it apart and how you have the different um, people in your life that uh, may be the enablers or maybe the helpers, uh, you know, who are actually looking out for your best interest and. Um, why you do the certain things you do are you just eating to eat to fill that hole or are you eating to um to you know for sustenance and it's more the latter of of filling that void instead of actually getting real help um that he probably needed you know therapy probably would have helped instead of a meatball sub um bits and pieces while we're kind of finishing this up there are some there are some cute little comedy moments and lighthearted moments in there. There's a couple really well nice little place. Right, there's like a couple the of real nuggets. And he goes in a sea of depression and hatefulness. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that is the beauty of Brendan Fraser, yep. though. I mean, come on, he can give a 
performance of a lifetime. But, you know, those couple times when he was like chuckling about, what, you're going to stab me? My yeah, eternal like, organs are like yeah, two like, feet in at least. Any fucking organs. awful like tear down poem where he's like, one, two, three. Oh, it's a haiku. <laughs> and just, that's great. Like, that's funny. Um, and, and that shows a good breadth of Brendan Fraser regardless of like what I mean I think he's definitely gained dramatic chops over the years due to maybe just maturing and going through different shit in life um but damn I mean that wasn't in (laughs) the mummy yeah and the other tidbit you know there's stuff about like oh the raven I knew that's that's a toll thing and the Dan the pizza man is whole thing but uh we we don't have that time so I'll just say I loved the setting and I love the set design and I loved because I've been in those places where it's like it's probably smells a little bit and it's very dark and there's not a lot of lighting. All the windows are covered up and there's a little bit of like old grime on everything. Not that you kept the place dirty, but it's just been sitting there for a while. That's I I know that place intimately, and I know rural like rural Idaho feels like New York State. Like I'm looking out my window right now and I'm like, yeah, that's about the size of it. <laughs> Like when that bus pulls up in that first shot, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that is this my bad? Is this is this like upstate New York? Where are we where are we going here? Um, and it's it just struck me because it's not a place that a lot of people film in because everyone films stuff in like California or like uh, other place, other you know, places that I just don't like relate to. Right and. Near near a trailer park in rural Idaho, I don't. I can relate to that. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't put him in a trailer. Because <laughs> they couldn't put him on the second floor otherwise. Yeah. Which again, it was great. I was wondering if he was going to fall off those. He was going to try and like walk, and he was going to die by falling off those stairs. I thought. Instead. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I know. I know. Being familiar with Aronofsky's work, I knew how how this was going to end. I'm like, this isn't going to work out well for our boy. Even though you desperately want it to, yeah. Um, so I, every time something like that showed up, I'm like, oh, that's that's gonna be a cruel thing. Why would you do that? Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's my thoughts. There's, there's plenty more we can talk about. You can't say this movie doesn't spark discussion. Um, my main complaint is just that it's kind of acted a little stiffly by people who weren't Brendan Fraser. Yeah, it's uh, it's a story that's reached kind of outseeds its grasp, out, that stretches its grasp, and doesn't really coalesce all the different kinds of themes it pays lip service to. And the characters are really only skin deep, but Brendan Fraser's performance is so magnetic that it, it lends it. Lends greater perceived depth to Charlie, even though if you like just read the yeah. book uh, that this is based on, um, if if Charlie's as thin as he is in the screenplay here, then you know you might not feel that way about him. But yeah. it's worth watching when it comes home on streaming, however long that might be. But uh, don't feel the need to rush out to the theater to see it. Um, Brendan Fraser sure will be available. Definitely going to be nominated. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be available after he gets his nomination and or just wins it. Because he, he already won his he should win. Awards. Yeah, he, that's he's he's won an award for it already. I, I he's definitely going to be nominated. I mean, there's a lot of movie left, a lot of movie left, but uh, hard to imagine that he wouldn't be the favorite right now. 
Best Actor. Wait, for what? Academy Award. Um, oh, Academy Award. Because they just had um, yeah. the mm-hmm. Critics' Choice that he won. Um, but he did not win the one before that. What was that? Was that the Academy? No. Uh, what was the award show that just happened? Because Elvis won that All one. All right, let me look this up. Um, Elvis Award. Um, no, uh, Elvis 20, the AACTA, ACTA, ACTA, Elvis 2022 won a outstanding performance by a male actor in a leading role at ACTA 2023 or BAFTA, we talk about BAFTA. I don't know what uh, what show so you're talking act, about. So, yeah, there's the show. ACTA International Awards. The day of the ceremony of that is February 24th. He's nominated for Best Actor. Same as for the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. Amazing. <laughs> um, Alliance of Women Film Journalists. He's nominated for Best Actor there as well. Um, Chicago Films Critics. I think BAFTA. I think BAFTA was whatever it was. Huh, I, didn't, I thought that was a. Uh... Yeah, he won the Critics' Choice Movie Award. Um. Yeah, pending for, for all other awards here, but. Uh, yeah, he's got a good shot at it, and uh, I'd be very happy for him to to see that. That would really be the the cherry on top of his renaissance. Um. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be the cherry on top for episode 350 of the Saturn Studs podcast. Uh, We'll be back next week, probably taking a look at The Old Way, the new Nick Cage revenge western. So, I mean, they had us at Nick Cage. Yeah. What can you do? What can you do? Um, But until then, be well, stay safe, and party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye-bye.